Good morning, Chapel Hill. Good morning. Good morning, there we go. I don't remember the last time that Memorial Day and Pentecost fell on the same day, but it is really quite appropriate, isn't it? Because on this day we celebrate the spirit of Jesus that was given to us and the church was birthed because of it. And we also celebrate the lives of those men and women who gave their lives so that we might continue to worship God in freedom in this land. And so we welcome you this day to this interesting and wonderful juxtaposition of memorials. Last week, Pastor Ellis preached a great message on the Lord's Prayer out of Luke chapter 11. We're continuing in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Pastor Ellis pointed out that there are some slight differences between Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer and Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, which is the one most Christians pray in churches. Um, surely Jesus taught more than once on prayer. So it wouldn't surprise us, would, us that, would it, that there might be some slight differences between the two. But if you paid close attention last week, you would have noticed that there was one that kind of just jumped out at you. Luke's last line for his version of the Lord's Prayer goes, lead us not into temptation. And then it stops. And we're saying, wait a second, there's something missing. What is the missing piece? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the part that Matthew includes and that Luke omits. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, Luke may not have included that in his version of the Lord's Prayer, but he certainly believed that there is evil from which we must be delivered because the section immediately following Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, this one that we're going to look back, look into today, is a a kind of a deep dive into some dark and disturbing realities about demonic activity in the world. There are some texts, if you are a preacher, that are easier to preach. Uh, and then there are some that it would be easier to skip, we might imagine. But we don't do that around here. We value expository preaching, which means we preach the totality of God's Word, entire chunk. We're making our way through the entirety of the Gospel of Luke. And there will be some delightful uh, parts to this, this uh, journey, like the Good Samaritan, which is coming up. And then there are others that are harder, like this today. But this is also God's Word for us. And frankly, in these crazy days in which we live, I think we need to be reminded that there is evil in this world. Evil, evil from which we need to be delivered. And thank God, we have a Savior who has come to do just that. Amen? So we're going to dive into this passage from Luke. The topic might be a little new from some of, for some of you, and if you're visiting, it might seem a little odd, but I have been praying and pray even now that you would open your hearts to what the Lord might be wanting to teach us about our spiritual enemy and the forces of evil. So turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We will begin with verse 14. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. 
And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is the word of the Lord. So the first point I want to make in this text is a simple one. Here it is. Evil is real. Evil is real. Luke transitions from teaching on prayer to this matter-of-fact statement that Jesus was casting out a demon. He cast out a mute demon and freed this man up to speak again. And it's almost as if ho-hum, just another day at the office, another exorcism, another person delivered from the grips of Satan. But by now, if you've been following along, we've, we've made our way through a big chunk of Luke. And it would be easy for us to begin to take for granted what was really a remarkable part of Jesus' ministry on this earth, his deliverance ministry. Again and again, up till now, Luke has reminded us that a key part of Jesus' ministry was his battle with evil spirits that had taken possession of people. You might recount, recall an encounter he had with a, a guy named Legion, so named because he was inhabited by a multitude of evil spirits. Jesus cast them out of that poor, wretched man and sent them into a herd of pigs who dived right off in the cliff into the sea. Every time Jesus delivered a demon-possessed person, he was displaying his power and authority over the kingdom of evil. In fact, when he sent his 12 disciples out on ministry on his behalf, two by two, he gave them the authority to cast out spirits. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall when he gave them their marching orders? Okay, guys, you're going to go out and you're going to preach about the kingdom of God like I've been teaching you. You're going to heal people from all of the diseases that they have. And by the way, you're also going to cast evil spirits out of some of them. And the guys are looking at each other and saying, say, what? In John 1, 1 John though, in a letter that's near the end of the New Testament, we read a, 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 a terse summary of Jesus' mission statement on earth. 1 John 1 First John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And exorcism was one of the ways he destroyed the works of the devil. Exorcism, interestingly, is the one miraculous power that Jesus displayed that was never performed in the Old Testament. Jesus fed people miraculously, but then so did Moses. Jesus calmed the storm, but Joshua held back the raging waters of the Jordan. Jesus raised people from the dead, but so did Elijah. But no one in the Old Testament ever cast out evil spirits. 
That was the province of Jesus alone. The closest we get is when King Saul was inhabited by an evil spirit and David would soothe him by playing his lyre, but he didn't kick that spirit out. The singular and perhaps most remarkable display of Jesus' authority and power, other than his resurrection, was his ongoing battle with evil spirits that terrorized the people they inhabited. The New Testament, from the beginning of Matthew to the very end of Revelation, clearly teaches that we have a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him the devil, or Satan, among other names. We actually have seen him once so far in Luke. He appears in the account of the temptation of Jesus way back in chapter 4. Of course, he was trying to derail Jesus before he even began his ministry, and he fails. So, Satan goes into hiding. And we don't see him again until Luke 22 when we are told that he inhabited Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. But even though Satan has gone underground, he has an army of spiritual minions who continue to do his bidding throughout the gospel. The Bible calls these minions demons. Five times in our text today, the word demons appears. Fifty-seven times demons are mentioned in some form in the New Testament. So the New Testament teaches that we have a spiritual enemy and his minions. Jesus believed in the reality of evil. The apostles believed in the reality of evil. The apostle Paul believed in the reality of evil. And so the first question I would pose to you this morning is, do you? Do you believe in a real devil and the real and real evil spirits, or don't you? Statistically, the vast majority of Americans believe in God, some sort of God. The vast majority of Americans do. And one study suggests that as many as 97% of evangelical Christians believe in angels, good spirits. But a majority of American Christians do not believe in the existence of a literal devil. Apparently, we want to believe in the good we cannot see, but we would rather deny the existence of the evil that we cannot see. And may I just tell you, this plays right into Satan's hand. He loves it when we don't think he exists. Some Christians talk so much about the devil and demons that you begin to wonder who they think has the most power. But others, like Presbyterians, I think, talk too little about it. But in a world and time when the forces of evil are increasingly brazen and brutal, this is a question that you must be asked, beloved. Do you believe the Scriptures when they teach that Satan and his minions are real and personal or not? And will you take that by faith? Because we do. Our church believes that. I do. Your pastor and your pastors believe that. Our denomination believes that. In fact, if you are new to our church, you might have noticed a little bit of a twist on how we pray the Lord's Prayer. Have you noticed that? We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? The evil one. The evil one. And by the way, we're not just making this up. This is actually a very accurate translation of the Greek. It's a good alternate translation. Deliver us from the evil one, we read in Matthew's Gospel. And we began praying this a few months ago. Deliver us from the evil one because I am convinced that we are in a spiritual battle as a nation and as a church and as a people. We Christians need to wake up and realize that we have an enemy. Amen. 
We have an evil one who is not just a nameless, impersonal evil force from whom we must be delivered. We pray, deliver us from the evil one because we believe we have a spiritual enemy, the enemy of our soul who wants to discourage us and tear down our marriages and steal our children and our health and our wealth. He wants to wreak havoc in the world through terror and hatred and racism and gender confusion and political division. He is our arch enemy who hates all that is good and right, who hates God and all who follow Him and who wants to do everything He can to depress, disrupt, discourage, dissuade, and destroy the people of God. He is Satan, the evil one, our enemy. And the first point I would make is evil is real. Here's the second point, and this is really worth celebrating. Evil is powerless before Jesus Christ. There was never a time in any of the Gospels when Jesus encountered a demonic force that he was stymied in his attempt to set that person free. Never once did Jesus say, boy, that one's too big for me. That one's too hard for me. That one's too tough for me. As a matter of fact, in every instance of deliverance, it's almost matter of fact. Jesus would speak to the demon that was inside that person. They would have a little chat, and then he ordered him out. And it was simple as that. No hysterics, no incantations, no histrionics, at least not on Jesus' part. The demons, the demons who knew that the jig was up, they sometimes threw a tizzy fit, but it's because they knew that they had no choice. When Jesus cleans house, they're gone. And that's the point of the rest of this passage. Evil, demonic forces are powerless against Jesus. He is the strong man. He is the spiritual strong man who cannot be overcome. And even Jesus' earthly enemies admit it. You never read the enemies saying he didn't really cast any evil spirits out. You never read them saying that because the evidence of the changed lives was too obvious. If one man is suddenly able to speak when he's never been able to speak before, that's pretty obvious. Instead, they come up with an outlandish and really a blasphemous explanation. The reason Jesus does this is he himself is possessed by the devil. He casts out evil spirits by the power of Satan, they said, who is called Beelzebul in this passage. Beelzebul means, it's a name for Satan that means the master of the house, or the house of Baal, the master of the house of Baal. And Jesus says, why would the master of a house turn on his own family? A house divided cannot stand. He said, no, I'm casting out demons not by Satan's power, but by the finger of Almighty God. It just takes the finger of Almighty God, which I think looks like something like this. You, evil spirit, you're out of here. That's the finger of Almighty God. And they have to go. When Jesus commands it, they're gone. So evil is real, that's bad news. Evil is powerless before Jesus, that is very good news. Which means he's also powerless before the disciples of Jesus who are filled with his spirit. That's you. This brings us to our final point. Evil must be displaced. Evil must be displaced. What do I mean by that? Well, I want you to listen to one last part of this reading. It starts in verse 24. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, desert places, arid places, 
seeking rest. I, my life group just couldn't help get over the idea of demons seeking rest. The point being, even though they are utterly evil, they long for the shalom that they never will have. They're seeking to find rest and they will never find it. And finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. My folks just sold their home and downsized, and our family has been for the last few weeks cleaning it out. Every piece of furniture removed, every wall kind of touched up, the floors swept, spick and span, ready for the new owner. But as we were cleaning, a bird flew in through the garage and made its way inside of the house and was fluttering around in the house, threatening to drop his little bombs all over our newly cleaned floors. And it took forever for us to get him out. And when we finally got him out, he just took up, he kind of posted himself outside the garage door saying, I'm just waiting. The minute you turn your back, I am back in there. And you just know he was going to do it. And if he got his chance, if we turned our backs, he was going to go in there and he was going to bring a bunch of his little friends and they would have been delighted to create a guano factory inside that house. Jesus offers in this teaching a frightening warning to those who have been set free from demonic influences. If you don't fill the empty space with something else, those spiritual squatters will return along with a whole bunch of their friends and they will reclaim residence and trash the place even worse than before. This is frankly the spiritual example of what we see happening along the freeways of our cities right now. You have heard the expression, nature abhors a vacuum. I think that's true in the spiritual realm too. Spiritual nature abhors a vacuum. It is not enough to kick evil out. It is not enough to to get rid of bad habits and broom them out of the house and all your bad behaviors and grit your teeth and try harder to clean up your act. If you don't fill that empty space that remains with something else, it won't be long before all the bad stuff is back along with reinforcements. So then, what do we fill that space with? Well, let me remind you of the day that we are celebrating. And let me take you back to the verse just before the one that we started with this morning. Verse 13. This was from Pastor Ellis' message last week, the conclusion. Verse 13, Jesus says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask Him. And I think the rest of this is in part an explanation of how that takes place. This is what Luke is talking about. The only way to have true and final victory over evil, all that is broken in our lives, is through the expulsive power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean explosive power, although there's that too. When the New Testament describes the Holy Spirit, it uses the word dunamis, dynamite for the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit is powerful, but I'm talking about the expulsive power. The Holy Spirit has power that expels evil and then keeps it out. Today is Pentecost. It is the celebration of the greatest gift that we ever received, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living Christ. He lives in every one of us if we have received Jesus as our Savior and Lord. 
When we commit our lives to Jesus, we don't just say, hey, Lord, would you take away all the sins, all the stuff that makes me feel guilty and bad? Would you just kind of clean my act up for me? That's part of it. But we also must say, and will you come into my heart? Will you take residence in my life? We're saying, Jesus, really, we're saying, Jesus, I want you to possess me. I want to be possessed by you. I want you to fill me and empower me, and I want you to displace all that is evil in my life and keep it that way forever. This brings an interesting and important question that I'm sure many of you are asking. Well, given all we're seeing about demonic possession, can Christians be possessed? And I would say no. If you are a true Christian, if you have genuinely committed your life to Christ, the only way for that to happen is for the Holy Spirit to come into you, to take residence in your life. And once the Holy Spirit is living in there, there's no room for any of the evil stuff that's, that used to be there or that might have been there. Jesus once said in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is great news. If you belong to Jesus, if His Holy Spirit lives within you, then no one can ever chase Him out. So no, a true Christian cannot be demon-possessed, but beloved, true Christians can absolutely be demon-oppressed. Satan may have lost you, and he does. When you give your life to Christ, he's lost you forever. But he delights in attacking you, in discouraging you, in beleaguering you, in causing you to compromise your Christian witness. There are some Christians who see a demon behind every bush. They blame every bad thing that they do on demonic activity. Listen, there's still plenty of sin in this own sin nature. There's still plenty that the Holy Spirit is working on, and I am responsible for that. I don't need a demon to do all that bad stuff. But there are times when we find ourselves under spiritual attack. And I have to tell you, your pastors have been in such a season. I'm not going to go into the detail, but every single one of us has felt like we've been under a barrage of spiritual attack. Illnesses and stress and family struggles and heart ache. Thank God we have elders who have stood with us in this season. At our last session meeting, the elders said, just a moment, let's stop right now. We're going to pray over our pastors. And your elders prayed protection over us. They prayed healing and encouragement and peace and hope back into our lives in the name of Jesus. And we needed it. And it made a difference. But it reminded me that even though Satan is a defeated enemy, he is defiant to the end. We Christians should not live in fear of the devil. Christ is victorious. In his resurrection, he triumphed over the evil one. But like the head of a rattlesnake that is cut off, it can still bite. It can still poison. And if we don't remember that, if we don't remember that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with powerful spiritual forces, we can let down our guard and open up ourselves and our families and our church to his attack. We must be vigilant and we must be ruthless. Satan is the only enemy that we do not have to love. Satan is the only enemy that we do not pray for. We pray against him, and we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen one. So this, this morning, this morning, we're going to do some spiritual warfare. 
We pastors are, are going to be up here. All five of us are here this morning because this is important to us. And I'm going to invite you as the music starts. I'm going to invite you if you feel a prompting for this to come forward, kneel down, and let us pray for you. Maybe what you want is simply a, an infilling of the Spirit. And if you put your hands out like that, that will say to us simply, would you pray over me that the Holy Spirit might be filled me to overflowing once again, be renewed in my commitment to the Spirit. But there might be some of you who are feeling like you are experiencing an attack right now, that you are, that you are un, in, the, in the devil's sights. And if that is the case, we want you to whisper that in our ear, whatever it is, and we're going to pray that the Lord will deliver that. He will have victory over that in your life. So I'm going to ask the pastors to all come up here. You're going to hear some music, and I invite you, and I know it's going to be awkward. You have to climb over each other. Just climb. It's okay. Just climb. We're a family here. Climb. Come forward, and we will take all the time we need to pray that the evil one will be defeated by the matchless name of Jesus. Let's pray together right now. Father, we believe you when, when you declare through your word that there is evil in this world, that there's someone who wants to steal and kill and destroy. We believe you. We believe Jesus and the apostles when they taught that and when they triumphed over that. And Lord, we want to have triumph like that today. On this day of Pentecost, when we celebrate the gift of your Holy Spirit to every single believer, when we celebrate the birth of the church, we also declare that we need more and more and more of you, Jesus. And in this moment, we declare out loud there is evil in this world, but it stands powerless before Christ and we wish to come against it against it in the world, but against it in the lives of every person here who might be feeling under attack, oppressed, discouraged, brokenhearted. So I pray, Lord, in this moment that you will open up the floodgates, that your people will come forward and kneel, receive more of you, and experience deliverance like they have not known. And I pray it in Jesus' name.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.